Hello there once again, fellow Peregrinos. Welcome to the Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk about planning, preparation and packing for walking the road to Santiago, as well as tips, tricks and hacks to make your journey along the way a lot more enjoyable. This week, we're talking to a British pilgrim, Chris Corbett. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you doing? All the more better for hearing your lovely, melodious Scouse accent. <laughs> I appreciate it. And yours? Uh, well, I, I'd, like, I'd like to believe you really feel that about mine. But anyway, um, for those who don't know, mine's from Essex and uh, that doesn't really have the best reputation in the UK. But anyway, getting sidetracked there. Back to the main task. So, Chris, this is all about your Camino 2019, last summer, um, the Camino Frances. Take us back to when you, it's not the kind of decision you make every day, like going out for the weekend, going on holiday. This is going to walk across Spain for a whole month. So how did you come to that big decision? Um, well, I'd obviously heard about the Camino growing up, um, obviously being just across the water in Spain. Um, and I'm a keen runner. So I was watching some documentaries uh, probably around March, April um, on some fastest known attempts for the Apachalan Trail in America by Scott Jurek. Uh, and then this whole idea of long through hike and running experience was just really appealing to me. So after some research and planning, I decided I'd come back to the UK from where I was and I would run the Camino. Um, and after putting a bit of planning into this, my partner did a bit more research on it and she just became super keen on the idea of walking the Camino as well. So we planned it out and we thought, let's do it. Let's go ahead and we'll do the Camino together. I can do a bit of running and, you know, we can do a bit of walking together along the way. Just out of interest, what was the fastest time that someone had completed the Appalachian Trail in? I think it was like 41 days at the time. And then people just keep beating it every year now because it seems to become quite popular. That is insane. Agreed. That, Agreed. Nor that normally takes people around about six months, I think, from, from start to finish. Okay, so 41 days. How long did it take you to do your Camino? Uh, it took us 31 days, 32 days. We right. ended up continuing on after Santiago, so there was an extra day or two in there as well. Right, so in terms of finding the balance between running and walking, how did your days pan out? I didn't really plan it. As, much, as such, I just sort of, you know, originally it was going to be, I was going to run one day and then walk one day. Um, and yeah, it just, just I, I just took it easy. You know, we met a good group of people along the way and some days it was nice to walk a lot alongside them and other days I would just head off alone and hit the trail. So it was really enjoyable. And how was your girlfriend with the running the Camino idea? I mean, she thinks I'm crazy anyway from just doing running, even if it's around the park. So, um, but yeah, I mean, she, I think at the time she was a bit nervous when we were planning it about, you know, leaving her on the on her own to walk and things like that. But I think after a couple of days of being there, she just totally understood that she'd gain a lot of benefit from also doing a lot of solo walking. And I think a lot of pilgrims come across that whether they think that it's all about the group or whether it's all about walking alone people seem to find a middle balance along the way yeah i mean i i actually met a guy that was running the camino as well um he was uh he was a bit, bit crazy but like you just by the sounds of it 
Um, and he was, he was kind of running with his walking staff alongside his shoulder like he was some kind of Neanderthal hunter or something like that. He really made me laugh. A New Yorker, nice guy. And um, But I always tended to end up catching up with him because I was walking quite long distances every day. So I think he was running shorter distances. For anyone that's interested in potentially running the Camino, because by the sounds of it, there is like some kind of, I guess, um, maybe cult following for this kind of thing. Um, yep. Any advice you could give for anyone that wants to do something a bit different like that? I mean, in terms of, you know, for me, it was the first, you know, continuous long trip of running every day. Um, and I think it was the perfect experiment as well for that because there was somewhere to stop regularly. There's somewhere nice to stay every day. And as you said, you know, I think one of the things I was initially nervous about about running the Camino was not actually ever meeting any groups of people that I would stay in touch with because obviously I would be faster than them during the movement part of the day. And then when you get to the albergue in the evening, it was more, well, how I'm not going to ever see the same people two days in a row. And I just found that, you know, 25K to 40K running a day was more than enough. And people are walking those distances. So I may arrive at the albergue a little bit earlier, but by two, three o'clock, those same people are still going to meet you there and you've still got that social aspect to come. So I'd say go for it. It's a brilliant challenge but you don't miss out on the, the walking aspect either. You, you don't miss out on the social aspect of it either because like you said you end up just doing it faster than other people are walking it exactly exactly and we had one of your a member of your camino family a couple of episodes ago andrew baker right yeah correct actually you've interviewed another person i walked with as well ah, that was um dan dan, dan jarvis, jarvis yeah so inadvertently i've ended up um interviewing like three of your Camino family. Yeah. But that, that's what the Camino is about. Is you, you yeah. meet people, people, you know what I mean? It's it's a special part of the world. So well I'm honored to to be part of it somehow in this strange strange way. So um all right, so you've ended up running a bit of the Camino and obviously you're walking with your fiance. You said that you'd heard of the Camino. Um was it just through your affinity for going for long distance running and extreme sports? I think um, not initially. Initially, I had heard about it from my father. Um, when, I, when I was younger, he used to do a lot of long cycling trips. And he told me about the Camino when I was, I can't remember the exact age, but, you know, a little bit, a couple of years before the, the movie The Way came out. Uh, and he told me, you know, at the time, I don't think it was very popular to cycle it. But he was a keen cyclist and did some trips in Borneo, etc. Um, and yeah, I think it just sort of led on from there. And then when I seen the movie The Way, when it first came out, I was still quite young. And, and then things just developed from there. And as I said, it was it was more when I watched the Appalachian Trail attempts. It just brought back those memories and it just sort of all fell into place from there. All right. So you heard about it first from your dad. Uh, you've ended up getting the bug for it after kind of reading about the guys walking the Appalachian Trail. You've got the movie The Way. Um, did your f girlfriend take any persuading to do it or is it something you both kind of planned together and um, and you're both in agreement? I don't, I don't think I persuaded her. I think I sort of laid out 
what I thought it would be and why I would really enjoy it. And I think she just caught that bug and the enthusiasm for it. And then I let her do her own research to decide if she would like to do it. And she was became very keen. So it was more like I didn't want to push her into it. We we quite often do separate trips. If she wants to go visit family, I might go to Thailand and do a Muay Thai camp, for example. But um, this was just something that she became very keen on as well. And yeah, we ended up just planning it together from then on. I wonder if your girlfriend is a bit like my wife, because when we started first planning Caminos together, she didn't need any persuading to do it. And in the end, she ended up planning everything, you know, down to where <laughs> we're going to fly to, potential places to stay, where we can eat. Um, I wonder if your girlfriend enjoyed that kind of taking on the responsibility of, of the planning side of things. I think she does enjoy that, yeah. Looking yeah. back through the WhatsApp group from the Pilgrims, yeah, there's a lot of uh, her suggesting this place that she'd read up about previously, etc. So, yeah, it was. It's uh, I'm a bit more, let's see what happens, but it's yeah. always good to have a good idea right. in the group as well. Yeah, you kind of just uh, go with a flow and, and your, your girlfriend likes to have everything in place. I think it sounds like you, you're a very similar team to my wife and I. And... Okay, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. Imagine that you are going to go back to the Camino tomorrow. What would be the first three things you take with you, aside from the obvious, which would be your backpack, your running shoes, and um, something as important as getting the right socks? Okay, so the, the three things that would be on my packing list, aside from a backpack and footwear, okay. Um, I would say I took a, a massage ball with me, um, and I think... A lot of people questioned me on this in the first couple of days, but after about a week or two, I was borrowing that thing around everybody. Um, and, you know, such a light, small object fits in the bag, doesn't add any sort of, you know, you don't need to really plan for it. You just squeeze it in anywhere. But after those long days of walking on the feet and the legs, it was always super handy to have something like that to release the tension. Um, I also took a, a collapsible water bottle, so it's more like, you know, it was plastic, reusable, but when it was full, it filled up. But every time you took a sip of water, it would shrink down. And I think that was great because it weighed nothing, collapsed to, you know, no space, basically, when it was empty. And my final object would definitely be a power bank. Uh, I know a lot of people steer away from um, electronic devices and things like that. But I found it invaluable, especially for charging my headphones or, you know, I also did a bit of filming along the Camino just to keep my own memories in check and yeah it was invaluable to me. So first of all on the on the massage ball and that is to if I'm not mistaken you can work the tension and the and yeah the tightness out of the muscles. Correct yeah. So they're, no, like, think, so they're not so tight basically. Yeah, imagine, you know, when you get a bit of stress at the desk at work, maybe, and someone comes up and gives you a 10-second massage on your shoulders, you instantly feel better. And I think if you can do that for your legs and your feet after the walk and each day, you just start the next day a little bit fresher. I, I'm, I don't mean to be so ignorant to, to this massage ball concept because I've never used one before, crazily. I know, I've heard all about them. One of my mates who's a surfer, he swears by them. Um, and so literally you would just get it and you work it in with your hand or you just kind of roll your calf over it. How does it work exactly? 
Yeah, so there's a couple of types. You know, the, the standard one would be like a lacrosse type ball, tennis ball sort of size. Right. And yeah, you put that on the floor and basically just lay your thigh on it, for example, and just roll your body up and down as if it was a, a foam roller, if, you know, gotcha. the listeners know. Yeah. Um, the one I had was sort of, it had a little handle and the ball rotated inside. So you just held the handle and the ball would ro- rotate. So you could just sit on a chair and actually just roll it up and down your leg. Sounds lovely. So you've got your own own personal masseur with you, basically. Correct. Good Correct. stuff. Um, and the power bank, by that you mean like the solar power bank? Uh, mine wasn't a solar one. It was, um, I think it was just a little anchor charger, basically. And yeah, just, I would just plug it in. So whereas you charge your phone overnight and by the end of the next day it was dead, I'd charge the power bank and it would charge my phone three or four times. So rather than charging my phone in the albergues, I would just charge that. And obviously, I think that gave me a bit of peace of mind as well with the security, you know. Yeah. I didn't know who the Camino would be, but putting a 400, 500-pound phone in the middle of a room with 20 people didn't seem wise before the Camino, whereas leaving a 50-pound power bank, if that had been stolen, I would have been less damaged, should we say. That's actually a really, really good idea and, and one we've not heard on, on the podcast before, so it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a solar power bank, which is what your a member of your Camino family had with him, which was and Andrew Baker said he swore by that and he said he ended up lending that out quite a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the power bank, so you charge the power bank instead of your £1,000, 500 quid iPhone 10 or 11, which is, and you are more feel more comfortable leaving that in the plug sockets, going to do your business when you get to the Albergs than leaving your phone. Great stuff that. And uh, the collapsible water bottle, um, uh, yeah, I never heard that. I didn't, I didn't know you could get such a thing, a collapsible water bottle. So, um, yeah, three really good things there and very unique stuff there as well. Okay, so on the start, when you first start in your Camino, you sound like you were a very experienced sportsman, experienced runner. Um, yeah. But would you say, obviously, you said it was the first time you'd ever done anything like this. Was there a mistake you made on the Camino? Often we make those mistakes those rookie mistakes at the start. And if you were to make some kind of mistake like that, if you sorry, if you did make a mistake like that, what was it that you wouldn't do again? What was it that I wouldn't do again on the Camino? Well, I think the only mistake I can really think of was I wish I would have took like a very thin pair of running gloves. Now, we walked, as you know, in the middle of July and August when it was super hot and certain days, but... You know, we were also leaving early, 5 a.m. some days, and those mornings in the middle of, you know, the Mesitas, for example, they're cold. And um, when you've got your backpack on your back, it's always nice to have your arms sort of helping you do the walking. So when they're stuffed in your jacket pockets or your pant pockets, it's, I don't know, it just seems like it uses a little bit more energy. So I really wish I took a thin pair of gloves. But apart from that, I don't, I don't feel I made any mistakes if that isn't wrong to say no no i mean obviously you you've got that um you've got that experience from before and i know i think i've said it before in this podcast one of the mistakes i made was i did way too much too soon in the first few days and paid for it kind of on day three four and five and didn't really recover until day five days kind of six or seven so but yeah a thin pair of gloves is a really really good idea as well because um you're probably not going to need anything more than that during the summertime but you tend to get up early 
five o'clock to avoid the sun, don't you? Because the sun yeah. can get in that in July, the sun's unbearable by eleven o'clock. Um, right. So you you catch it up, you compensate for that by getting up at five o'clock, and and it is cold. So yeah, a thin pair of gloves is a, is a really good tip and a really good piece of advice. Um, talking of advice, foot care routines, anything you and your girlfriend kind of got into? Um. I think I had quite calloused feet anyway, so I was quite lucky. Um, I wore breathable shoes, um, which I think, you know, a lot of people would swear by Gore-Tex shoes and waterproof shoes. For me, this was a, a big no-go, um, just because if water can't get in, moisture can't get out as well. So when your feet get sweaty, you're going to have damp feet all day. So I took opportunities to take my socks and shoes off at every stop, let them breathe and dry out, even if it was just a couple of minutes for a coffee. Um, and on some mornings, I may have put a little bit of Vaseline between my toes. I found this just avoided any friction buildup between the toes. Um, but yeah, I think people, the, the main thing I would say is find out what works for yourself prior to beginning the Camino. I had some friends who really suffered, and I mean to the point where it could have led to some serious infections at the end of Caminos very early on. Um, and yeah, I would say it's a super important thing, and don't don't assume you won't have problems. Plan for the worst, and just hope that it doesn't happen to you. Yeah, the more miles you can get in, the better before you leave, that's for sure. And the more miles you can get in with a weighted backpack on your back as well, not only to break yeah. your not only to break your shoes or your footwear in, which you say um, should be breathable, um, but also because you can end up getting backpack blisters as well. You don't know where, where you're going to get chafing in certain areas. Some, some areas you get it on the straps. And So long story short, the, the more of the story is, uh, the more miles you get in, the better. Um, and yeah, so trial and error. So you're not basically making, making those mistakes in your first few days of the Camino and having to end it early. I mean, I, I had really, really gory feet by the time I got to like day 10, Lagronio, something like that. I had to stop and, and get antibiotic creams and, and what have you. Um, and thankfully I, I kind of got through it but I did meet a guy who's well a stalker you know towards the end and he was still suffering really bad and his his feet just looked it looked like something out of a horror movie you know all different colors black and blue toenails and um, he was walking it in sandals in the end so um, but yeah so you've obviously been getting the miles in with your running and, and that paid off so um, from recommending foot care routines, what about a an alberg? You can recommend one of your favourites along the way. And why was it your favourite and why would you recommend it? I think my favourite albergue was uh, an albergue verde in Hospital de Obigo, I think it's pronounced. Um, I am plant-based, so this was a, like a vegan-friendly, vegetarian-friendly albergue. And just a, a small, beautiful place, you know, hammocks in the garden. The dinner was this whole big ordeal. There was singing and chanting and, yeah, just a lot of fun, really. Everyone came together. Small, cosy rooms, dead comfortable. And, yeah, they were building a yoga platform outside. But just overall, just an amazing place. So that was the Albergue Verde in Hospital del Orbigo, right? And um, I think that was the place that um, Andrew Baker mentioned as well, if I'm not mistaken. He said you had a bit of a sing song. Did you um, bang out a few Beatles tunes? I tried to, you know what I mean? I, I was over chanted. Be, being I from Liverpool. 
appreciate the Scouse accent sometimes, but um, in Spain, I'm just another pilgrim. So you just got to let the good singers let loose, really. Yeah, okay. Um, and what about a favourite city, town, village along the way, or potentially, a, you know, a hidden gem somewhere that's um, not as well known, but you found it to be quite special? I mean, this this is a hard choice. As there's so many amazing memories, but when I think of the Camino, my first thought is always the view from O Sobrero, I think it's pronounced. Um, yeah. It's a, a little small stone village, but at what feels like the, the top of the world and certainly the top of the Camino. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely loved it there. And it was a beautiful day. And for me, it was... It was the exact picture that I would put on the front of a pilgrim guide if I was to write one myself. Yeah, I mean, I think Osobrero is something like the second highest point on the Camino, isn't it? it? Something like that. It's definitely one of the highest points. It's like being on the roof of Galicia. Um, and it's just after you get into across the Galician border, border, if I'm not mistaken. But the views, it's like you're looking through an airplane window. That's right, yeah. That, that's just what... Yeah, that's kind of all I can remember. It just like green hills outgrowing each other as far as the eye can see. That's that's all I can see from Osobrero at the top, and and yeah, really really in, incredible place. That so, um, did it rain for you when you guys were there? It didn't actually, and I think that that's probably why I have such fond memories because you know, not that the rain's bad. We had some great rainy days, but. The views were just crystal clear and it, yeah, just just amazing memories. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just wondering how you and your girlfriend found that balance between walking together and walking on your own, finding your own space, but at the same time and growing in, growing on your growing yourselves, but also growing in your your relationship. How was it for you two together? I think, you know, it'd be it'd be crazy to say it's not a challenge to spend that much time together all day, every day. Um, but I think we've had a lot of experience with that over the years. Um, however, you know, I think if you plan to do the Camino with your partner, you just need to both be aware that, you know, you're both going to get something different out of it. And that's totally OK. Um, but, yeah, you know, find time to spend time together but also find time to make sure that the other person is aware that they should have time apart and walking alone and being alone is going to be essential. If I hadn't run, I would still have spent days walking alone. So I would say, you know, no matter how many pilgrims you walk with, you will still find time to be alone and you'll find time for that social aspect as well. Had she ever done, any, ever done anything like this before? No, most certainly not. It's a new challenge. Right, okay. I really enjoyed as well. So. Yeah, and I just wonder, like, was how did she take to it in the first? Was it something that grew in her? Did she love it immediately? How did she take to it? I think she loves the outdoors, so she, it's definitely uh, something she was excited about. I do think that she struggled a little bit more physically in the first, as you say, six to seven, maybe even up to ten days. Mm. But after, I think after Burgos, she, I think her, her body started to adapt to the process and fortunately she didn't suffer any lasting injuries and that allowed her to cherish the moments. 
So, going forward. Yeah. So it sounds like she she grew into it. She her body adapted little by little. And once she took Burgos for most people, yeah, I guess it's like two weeks in, something like that, halfway, and that's when you you're moving into the point where your body's adapted and and you you feel like you've got your second wind kind of thing. Correct, yeah. Okay, good stuff. So um, but just before we jump into the quick fire round, what about a specific restaurant, cafe or bar, somewhere where the food knocked your socks off? If you could provide a, a name and location, that's, that would be great for those that are going to go when they can go. I mean, in the big cities, there's so much good food, um, as you would find anywhere across the, the world. But um, a special one for me was Kakuma Green Food in Burgos. And yeah, just a, like I said, I'm a plant-based eater and they just had some fantastic, healthy green foods, platters, just unbelievable. Is that spelled with a K or a C? C-U-R-C-U-M-A, Kakuma Green C-U-R-C-U-M-A. Great, I say. Okay, so look that place up in Burgos, especially if you're on a plant-based diet. And if you want to try something like that out, then it sounds like that's the place to do it. Okay, we're going to jump into some quick fire questions. Um, short, sharp, sweet answers, and then we'll get back to the main discussion. All right, so um, favorite Camino, blog or book? Uh, Adventures on the Way, 1,100 miles on the Camino de Santiago. Who's that by, please? Uh, sorry, I don't have the name. Right, Adventures on the Way. I'm sure if you just type that into the into Google, that'll come up. Good stuff. Um Favourite uh, blog or film? Uh, well Towning on YouTube. And forum, favourite forum or Facebook group? Uh, it's just Camino de Santiago good group. St good stuff. And favourite food and or drink on the Camino? Uh, vino. And for the food, I would say the, the bocadillos and patatas tortilla. Okay, yes, the word you see in every cafe, bocadillos. Well, if you see that word, it means baguette, big sandwich. That's what it's all about. You can put a few of them away for sure. Um, one thing you wished you'd packed, perhaps? Um, I, I, I honestly I don't think I did. I don't wish for anything more. You got everything sorted before you went. Good stuff. Okay, one thing you didn't need and wouldn't take again? Uh, my third pair of socks. You could have got by with two. Okay. Um, one place you wish you'd stayed over and you would if you went again? Tria uh, Castella. Tria, oh, Tria Castella, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's on the way out of Osobrero as well, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, Tria Castella. That. Okay, good stuff. A quote or some meditations for the road? Maybe that's something that motivated you as you went along. Um, just, just, I'm not sure about the quote, just, just enjoy, enjoy the walk. So I would say. Okay. And I had one which was always stronger and faster when I was always, I think there was a road between Hospital de Albigo and, yep. uh, Leon. And I remember it was alongside the roadside and it was loads of traffic and wasn't too pleasant. And I just kept telling myself stronger and faster, even though I was feeling tired. So that was mine. Um, a guilty pleasure you carried with you. Ah, definitely my massage bowl. As you oh. say, not a common thing, but it was my pleasure. Good stuff. And perhaps a Camino application or internet resource? I would honestly recommend this podcast. So, Oh, thank you very much, mate. That's very kind of you. All right, good stuff. So um, feel free to dive um, to 
be more elaborate with your answers to the following questions. Um, one of the things I think that is special about the Camino is that the stories that you can tell, the interesting, inspiring, quirky characters that you meet along the way. By the sounds of it, you had quite a few in your Camino family as well. Um, yeah. So could you recall a funny, inspiring or quirky moment and encounter that embodies everything that's good about the Camino? Okay, we're going to have a little story here. So, yeah, let's gather around. We're going to run the campfire. Let's go. Along the Camino, I was lucky enough to enjoy a birthday. Um, and I rented a large apartment, invited a lot of the pilgrim friends I'd met along the way uh, to stay and join in for a party. And one of the friends, Kai, gave me a large chupa chup lollipop. And I mean the size of my backpack. And it was filled with lots of little lollipops. Now, I don't really eat sweets too often um, but I couldn't throw it away as it was a gift so I decided I'd shove the, the lollipop stick into the back of my backpack and allow the, the large ball part of the lollipop to stick out. Uh, as I said and while I was running I'd run past pilgrims and the noise would be and it was you know after about three hours of that you start to get a little bit okay this needs to we need to fix this so I decided every pilgrim that I passed I would stop and offer them a lollipop um, and I thought I'll get rid of the 20 30 lollipops inside and that'll be it but everyone seemed to get such a good mood boost and enjoyed this that it sort of led to me every day stopping and buying another 50 60 lollipops for the following day and this tradition became sort of quite well known with with the pilgrims within my distance shall we say of the next couple of days and um, so over the trip up to Osobrero, which as you mentioned is quite a, a long steep climb. I had two special moments in the same day. So in the morning I passed two Italian girls um, and I gave them a lollipop and carried on running. And on certain days I'd just listen to music and I wouldn't really stop to have a chat. I would just hand out the lollipops, say buen camino and carry on. And I must have stopped about half an hour later for a coffee and the girls caught up to me and one of them walked in spotted me and came over and just began crying and after me asking you know what what's wrong what's happened she began telling me stories about how she was having a difficult day and she was missing her family and her and her friends being discussing it and she was explaining to her friends that as a child whenever she was sad her mother would always cheer her up with a chupa chup lollipop and she said it was like you came along and was just looking out for her so I always remember that moment but about three hours later, I was halfway up Osobrero and stopped for lunch and I ordered my food, went outside to rest my legs. And when I'd finished, I went inside the cafe to pay. And the owner told me that the table of pilgrims sat inside had already paid for my lunch. I was a little bit confused because I had no idea who they were. I, I hadn't met them before at all. So I went over and I asked them like, sorry, have you made a mistake? And they said, no it's fine, we've paid. And I was like, well, why? And they said, well, we've heard about the lollipop man and how much joy you've brought to some of the other pilgrims we've met. So we just wanted to also give you something back. So I don't think like that was really the moral of me giving out lollipops to receive something back. But I think those memories will stick with me forever because it embodies what I believe the Camino was about. And that was, you know, people and nature combining to bring happiness and repair for other people. Yeah, that is, an, that is an incredible story. Well done you, the lollipop man. <laughs>
Thank you very much. Uh, and I love it because, you know, it's such a, a common, commonly used phrase, but what goes around comes around. And it's not just the lollipop, it's just the act of what you were doing, you know, just the, the running past and handing out lollipops and you know the random act of kindness that you were doing there and and like you say that does absolutely just embody everything that's good about the Camino and and the fact that those people paid for your lunch as well I mean how did you feel when when you'd seen they'd done that oh obviously I was you know I, I actually felt quite bad because I felt like it, it was being misinterpreted but I think you know afterwards when I reflect on it now I, I can understand that that feeling of happiness I felt when I realized they were doing something kind to me was obviously, you know, a big example of what I'd been given back to other people. So it made me feel better about myself because I was doing it for a bit of fun. But as you say, it was a, maybe the same as giving people a smile when you walk past them in the street. It's just that moment of happiness that sort of leads to something better for the other person on the other end. And, and just the, the synchronicity of you doing that on the day that Italian girl was was having a bad day as well, and and what that chupa chup symbolised for her as well. Now it's, it's a lovely story, and, and by the sounds of it, you were having some really unforgettable moments, and one of those was in Santiago. And I'm going to leave it to you to tell the listeners about what happened in Santiago for for you and your your girlfriend. Okay, so. Um... Me and my partner have been together since university. Um, so obviously, you know, we'd spent the last couple of years before that living abroad. And basically, I decided that I wanted to ask her to marry me. Um, and we planned originally to go to Santiago. But then after further looking into the Camino, as a lot of the listeners may know, there's also the option to continue to Mushia or to finish there. Um, and Finisterre is known across the pilgrim world as, you know, the end of the world. So I'd carried with me, hidden in my bag, an engagement ring inscribed with the words together to the end of the world, which I thought was quite fitting. Now, I carried this all the way along the Camino from Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port all the way to Santiago. So the morning I arrived at Santiago, there was a big group of us. We'd met up the night before. We went and watched Sunrise on the way into Santiago. And we stopped for breakfast on the outside of the city. I took this time to go to a local supermarket. And it was quite easy by this point to, you know, not really cause any questions to where I was going and why. Because every day I used to go to the supermarket and buy my lollipops. So I went to the supermarket to buy some chupa chups, But actually I bought some bottles of champagne and some like little champagne flutes. And I hid them in my bag somehow. I then caught up with everybody else. And when we arrived at the square, you know, we had an emotional, as you can imagine, everyone that arrives in the Santiago Square, all the emotions of what you've achieved and overcome sort of come to the surface. So, you know, everybody spent some time alone, spent some time as a group. And when the photos began after everything card down, I asked Dan Jarvis, the previous um, interviewee, to take our photo as only he and Mama Camino were the only two people who knew my plans on the day. So when we were posing for the photo, I got down on my knee and as you can imagine, the celebrations began. So I think for me and my partner, Lauren, it was definitely not the typical entrance to Santiago 
but it was definitely one for the memory box. It sounds like you definitely made an impression and, and memories to cherish for a lifetime. Correct, yeah. Oh, unbelievable. And I'm sure that's probably one reason that I'll, I'll always have a Santiago have a special place in my heart as well. So, so that was last summer. When's the wedding going to be? I'm not sure yet. Um, but, you know, keep listening to this podcast and maybe you'll find out. Um, Chris, this is nearly a year later. You're starting to slack a little bit. That's right. Well, as you can imagine, there's been a, some unfortunate events happening around yeah, the world. So. Yeah. Well, I don't want to put you under any pressure, so I'll leave it there. But um, I'm sure your fiance will be uh, happy to stick the date in there sometime soon. Um, for those that are um, for those that do arrive in Santiago, what do you feel? A- any advice? I mean, if you haven't got someone to propose to to make it so momentous. What advice could you give on making sure the pilgrims get the most out of that experience? I think you've got to, you just got to take the time, you know, think back about those hard moments along the way and what you led you to the Camino. But, you know, most of all, just be grateful that you've got the ability to be there and be proud of what, what you've overcome. You know, a lot of people go on the Camino thinking, you know, maybe they're there to repair something or fix something or forget about something, get over something. You know, there's a million and one different reasons you may um, go to Santiago. But when you're there, if you don't feel you found the answer, that's that's not it. That's just one small stepping stone to prove that you are strong enough to overcome challenge. And yeah, take the time to appreciate what you've just done. And if you can get over that, you can get over it. If you can get to Santiago, you can probably get over anything. That's what I think as well. And obviously, you, you did have some great times. I love the story about the Chupa Chups. Really made me beam that one. And I love the story about getting down on one knee when you were supposedly just going to have your group photo taken. I hope that you might be able to forward me that picture so I can put that up there. Um, with the podcast as well so the listeners can see and share that moment with you if you've got one um but um in terms of it's i guess it's not always plain sailing all the way along the camino can you remember a, a specifically difficult moment maybe it was mentally maybe it was physically and how you got over that moment I think, yeah, I think, you know, I specifically remember a day where, um, you know, a lot of our group had sort of, there's there's days along the Camino where there's more than one option or route. And I typically took the longer route. And, you know, sometimes you would lose some of what you would class as your close friends or some people would have to go home early so they may leave at Lyon or Burgos or, you know, along the way. Uh, or maybe some people go too slow or too fast that you just lose them. And I think that was quite difficult for me because I'm quite a sociable person. But yeah, I'm, I can't say I had the problem. I think uh, the, the solution to that problem, apart from just, just remembering that those people are still going to be there. If you, if you want a connection with those people, those people will still be there. And I think, you know, the, the group of people I still keep in touch with quite almost daily is... Um, is very strong and I think it, that's just testament to that it doesn't matter whether you see these people the next day or not you know you're still got a place in their heart and them in yours and any of your Camino family you'd like to say hello to just before we finish 
Oh, it's a it's a big shout out. So uh, the the Vino Camino family, um, Dan and Andrew, as you've met, and obviously Lauren, my partner, um, Frank, Tom, Layla, Zara, Ferdi, Marta, Luca, Matty, Laurie, Sabrina, Emma, Mike, Thomas, Salvador, Kai, and so many more. I love and miss you all. Okay, well we'll try and get the whole group on by the end of the. Uh, when as soon as we can we'll try and get the whole group on it's been a tremendous tremendous year for you chris you've got engaged um you've walked the camino you've become known as the lollipop man and <laughs> um to top it off your football team has just won the league fantastic can't be happier than <laughs> How, how does the, how does that moment um, when um, that you, Liverpool win in the league for the first time in thirty years compared to getting engaged in the square in Santiago? Well, I'm sorry, Lauren, if you're listening to this, but it's at least on par. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't born looking forward to being engaged, but I was born looking forward to the moment Liverpool win the league. And as as a 29 year old, it's been thirty years since they last won it, and I've been waiting my whole life for this. So. It's a it's a special moment and one that I think I'll remember forever. You you might well be in the doghouse after this, this interview, so um, I apologise if that's what's happened. And I hope Liverpool winning the league was worth it. Chris to the Vino Camino crew, um, thank you very much for your time. If our paths cross again on the Camino, wherever it may be, I just want to wish you buen Camino. And uh, I am actually going to be moving. Back to the UK very soon. My wife is from Bolton, so you okay. never you never know our paths might cross. Well, I hope so. I hope so. But all <laughs> the best, move, and um, yeah, hopefully one day we do cross paths. You too. Thanks a lot, Chris. Buen camino. Buen camino. <laughs>